0: Great, well I'm welcoming well, Heidi, Heidi Clark, Clark to, to the Building, Building Bliss, Bliss podcast this morning. this morning. Hello. Hello, hello. I hello. feel I this is going to get weird if we just eye contact. each other. I'll stare at the plants. to thank yeah. you. That's all just nice So I met Heidi through our comedy pursuits. I think we've known each other about three years now, roughly. I think it's three years, yeah. Yeah, so we've both done uh, comedy writing courses together, stand-up courses, and then have hit the circuit together, as we well, have, which has been very fun and eye-opening in equal <laughs> measure so but I was very interested to, to hear Heidi's story because as I was just saying to her before we started recording um, I know Heidi well through what we do and but generally we're just messing about and we don't always get into past lives not past lives but our past life <laughs> uh, so I'm really interested
1: to hear your backstory so thank you for coming on the podcast you're very welcome really good to have you here It's funny you should mention um, past lives. I don't know if you um, remember me ever showing you a picture of a doppelganger from the 1920s and she was a, a, a suffragette. And someone had seen this picture of this suffragette on a history tweet on Twitter. And she was the exact of me. She looked exactly like me. Same hair, same face. It was really strange. And you know when you're like, yeah, go on. I love that. Yeah, that's I think pretty cool. probably a life to have. I mean, I'm not sure. I believe in like like past lives. Yeah, but if I did believe in past lives, I'd be like, yeah, I'd be quite happy to be named as a suffragette because I've never been a well-behaved woman. No. So, I was going to say that's right on brand for you being a suffragette. I think I'd say so. Yeah, I'm I've got say. a friend actually who was,
0: had a very similar thing happen to her, but she was uh, an arch criminal, and so she was less enraptured with that. Oh. Well, apparently, nice. there was a Mary Cross on the first uh, convict ship sent to Australia.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back! Yeah, <laughs>
0: that's obviously my path life coming back to haunt me. Eh? <laughs> so, do you want to tell us a bit about your background and how you've ended up here? Because you're not from uh, the Wirral now, uh,
1: or Liverpool, are you? You're from Bournemouth
0: originally, is that right?
1: Yeah, that's right. So, um, I saw something the other day, and it exactly explained how my brain works. There was a picture of a road map. Um, and it said, this is how you explain something if you don't have ADHD. Um, and then there was a second picture, and it had it was like the spaghetti junction, like, on steroids. This is how you explain things if you do have ADHD. Now, as far as I'm aware, I, I don't have ADHD, but I never explain things, like, from there to there. It always just does this. So um, hang on in there. Uh, so, um, yeah, so I'm originally from Bournemouth. Um, I was born there I have oh god three brothers three sisters three half sisters and to kind of give you a a flavor of what normal life was um for me um only three of my siblings have the same parents so um my mum who I don't really call mum um because I don't really speak to her she she really struggled so My granddad was a Greek Cypriot, and he came to this country um, as a single man, and I believe, according to Ancestry.com, he was married to someone from London before he met our nan. And uh, when he moved down to Bournemouth and met my nan, um, they had two children, but she sadly passed away when uh, my mum was about four or five. She had cancer. Never quite got to the bottom of which type of cancer she had, but she passed really long, really young, and left two children behind with a Greek Cypriot man who has no concept of the culture. His language skills weren't perfect at the time. Um, and it was there for two daughters. Like, wow. You know, <laughs> culturally. Yeah, baptism of fire. It, I think so. I think maybe if he'd had two sons, he would be different. And I think that that kind of set up the scene for how life was going to look for them growing up and it's only now as an adult reflecting back you can kind of connect the dots and go right I see what happened there Um, and the story is very very long so I'll try and kind of skim over some of the fun stuff so my mum didn't make the best choices with relationships with men hence lots of children lots of different dads involved or not involved actually because mine was um my sperm donor was a bit of a one night stand he was married they were out that's that's kind of how I happened right um and I didn't meet him till I was about 16 17 he wasn't interested I wasn't interested but he was a bit of a dick to be honest um quite happy to let that one go um the only thing he gave me was blonde hair and blue eyes you know it was just like right I'm just good for Hitler now <laughs> Um, good to find that out at least and say well that's it that's yeah I met and I can put that to bed now I've met that one and and I don't like it and goodbye yeah so um my mum really struggled I think she struggled with her mental health and I think she probably still does but um she there was a lot of drugs involved um I grew up in an environment where there was a lot of drugs um some people would say there wasn't I would say are you fucking blind? (laughs) Um, So I was probably a young carer from, I'd say about the age of 9, 10. So there was me and an older brother and then um, my mum met my stepdad and he is the person I do call dad. Um, And they weren't married for that long though. And they then had my next youngest sister. So and then a succession of children followed. They got divorced and then one, two more children came. So there was a lot of kids, but um, my mum didn't get really get to achieve anything. She didn't didn't really get to go to college. She didn't get to go to university and she could probably have done all those things. But I think she was mentally ill when she was medicating with drugs and men really, and not really not she was not present as a parent so she would disappear and go off on benders so we'd have a few days where she wasn't about um so I was in charge I had an older brother but culturally in our household um and I think this is where my granddad's um his influence had come in men don't do a tap, women do everything yeah so my older brother was like the royalty and I was I was the slave and that's kind of how I saw it um, and I knew from an early age, this is not normal. Um, there was a lot of criminality. So um, there are lots of funny stories about when our house has been raided by the police. Right. Um, more material <laughs> for your stand-up. Yeah, more material for my stand-up. And you know that some of my stand-up has a hint at my past, um, but I kind of flip it. So having shoplifters come to the house quite regularly and taking your shopping order, we all know that that's part of my set. Um, and it's completely true everything that's in my set is true. If I'm telling you that we had shoplifters come in taking our shopping order and offering to buy me alcohol at a young age, it's true. It happened. It's making more sense now, I know the backstory. <laughs> so I suppose you could say like, I didn't get to make choices. When I was younger, I, I knew very early on I was gonna be the responsible person in the household and I was almost the protector of all these other human beings. I didn't want that job, but it was given to me, and 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 I had no choice really. So that's that's sort of where I've come from. And Bournemouth is a very affluent place, but not all of it is affluent. And I really, I really felt like the scum of the earth there, and like because like people in school weren't very nice to me. I had a nice core group of friends, but there was the periphery of bullying on a constant basis because I looked different, because yeah. I was tatty. I had those shoes that um, I don't know if you remember these because we're we're about the same sort of age. I'm a little bit older than you, aren't I? How I'm forty-six. You? Oh no, it's the same age. Same age but... There we go. So, do you remember years ago there were these little black, like really big shoes, and they had an acid smiley face on them? Did you get them up here? I think so. Yeah. yeah. So, I absolutely loved them, and I insisted that I needed a pair of those for school, um, not because everybody else had them, but because everybody else didn't want to wear them but i did for yeah, that reason like that. and um i insisted on having these shoes but they were really shit quality they were really poor quality shoes and they kept breaking at the front and so i was the person walking around school constantly with these shoes that went like this at the front <laughs> not at the back like flip-flops at the front i look like a friggin' clown um but so <laughs> that was just a measure like things like Producing new shoes, I mean now, if a teacher saw a child walking around in shoes like that, they'd just go and buy them a pair, which is wrong, yeah, um, or find something lost property that they could pass on. Well, yeah, but I found like the that school either didn't notice that something didn't seem quite right or they weren't bothered, and as an adult, when I reflect back on that, it makes me really angry that I got left by all the other responsible adults mm-hmm. that should have had my back and didn't. So I'm kind of like, kind of a little bit pissed off with, with authority in general, which I think has probably shaped how I am as a person. So that coming from that, that wealthy place where it's very obvious that you're not wealthy, it was, I found it very difficult. I was absolutely drowning in Bournemouth. Yeah, and I think you, you feel that at
0: your core when you can sense that difference. And obviously it sounds like you had to grow up very quickly. Yeah. So you probably had a greater degree of maturity than a lot of your friends or the cobalt you were in. And, then, and that sets you apart as well, doesn't it?
1: Yeah. I still did all the other stuff, like, when I could. So if I wanted to go out with friends, it was a rigmarole. I had to wait until she came back, and that would sometimes be late, and then I wouldn't be able to go out because everyone would have already been out. Um, but, when, when, but when she was having a really good day, when she was on the ball... I was, I had freedom, I could go and do things, normal things that other kids are doing. And yes, of course, I went and got bladdered in the park with my friends and, you know, fell asleep in bushes and stuff like that. You did order the Mac Dog 2020 when you were quite young, didn't you? Quite young, you? yeah. And actually, the, the reason I now don't drink orange flavoured alcohol is because of 2020. Do you remember it used to have a little plastic straw next yeah. to it?
0: I've, yeah, I've had some bad... Bad day, bad night yeah. out and I remember drinking a whole bottle before a dress rehearsal at the show that I was in when I was in the theatre. <laughs> it was not a good dress rehearsal. I think I fell off the stage at one point. <laughs> so.
1: I mean they were gross flavours, are they kiwi and lime
0: was it? I'm very interested to hear all that, I had no idea no? about all that so that's a fascinating backdrop to our questions today hopefully. so. so so the five pillars of bliss that the podcast is bounding on is bravery, laughter, inspiration, spark, and success. So we're gonna follow those through and ask you some questions. So the first one is uh, bravery. And I've asked you to think about a moment in your life
1: when you think it was your bravest for you. I had a really good think about this because I don't really, I wouldn't really consider myself brave more like stupid. and but I did have a really good think about it and um I took my mind back to when I was 18 so given I had a family where I wasn't able to make my own choices I couldn't do things for myself uh, if I wanted to do something like like really exciting like you know maybe get a job in the arts like that was never going to be a thing for me because I needed to be practical and I learned quite early to be really practical about my choices. So I decided I'd been introduced to um, a youth club. And when I was able to go, I used to go and I ended up doing a bit of volunteering there when I was in my sort of mid teens. And I really enjoyed it. Um, and then I found out, well, what's that like as a career? You know, like do you get, do you get paid well, or is it rubbish money? You know, can I, can I live my own life if I do a job like this? So I decided that I wanted to do Youth and Community um, and go to university. So there were a few bumps in the road just to get to that point. I knew that's what I wanted. I told my family that's what I wanted. They absolutely didn't believe that I was capable of doing any of those things. Um, And we had a little bump in the road. So my mum went to prison for a few months. um, And while she was gone, I was then fully responsible at the age of about 16 for an entire household now there were adults milling around they were milling around um but they weren't they weren't really there mm-hmm. you know they weren't there in the evenings or you know like when it was time to turn all the lights off and lock the doors like I was still a child left with a load of children so how many of your siblings were there at that point all of them including the older Nobed. all of them, um so- oh hang on no one wasn't one wasn't born he wasn't thought of um, he was just a scratch in the ocean um, and the other one she was pregnant I think when she was in prison so there was three plus the neighbour's child because their mum had also gone to prison um, yeah long style <laughs> so um, getting to it Yeah. so when I was due to go um and start college, I didn't get the right GCSEs. Um, so I had to resit them. So my first year of college, I had to resit GCSEs, which was around exam time when she decided she needed to go to prison for a few months, which is incredibly selfish. So, in order to get on to the next course, which was an MVQ in health and social care, it was an advanced course. So it's like two A levels in one. Um, I was not going to get the grades because I'd missed far too much um, prep time. So I made my mum write a letter to the college explaining herself and telling them why I wasn't able to adequately study for my GCSEs, like all the other normal kids, Mm -hmm. Um, and they gave me a place. So I didn't deserve the place. I got the place based on me telling her to step up and be responsible for one minute. So at least one adult could
0: actually see your potential and also realise you'd not had the opportunities that other people had. Perhaps you deserved a chance.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so smashed that course, didn't have any problems with that. Um, Then I started getting uh, interviews at universities and I think this is when my mum probably realised shit was getting real now, that I wasn't joking. I intended to leave and I had a plan and the plan was I am going to pick the university that is furthest away from Bournemouth. I don't care what university it's like, couldn't give a shit, that's where I'm going. So I got into better yeah. universities closer to Bournemouth, but then too close. Yeah. Um so I went to a university in North Wales because that was furthest away. Yeah. And it took me a while to figure it out because there was a couple that were kind of on the map. I was like, no, that's further. You just got a vision in a Mattis chart with like streamed. That's <laughs> so technically the furthest away. So getting to the the question about um probably the first time I realized that that I could do brave things. Um, was the day I left because it was a really really horrible horrible day and I think I don't think I've ever seen my mum have so much emotion so much crying you know like we're gonna miss you and I'm like you're not actually gonna miss me you're gonna miss my presence in that I do everything for you yeah Um, everything that you do everything you're supposed to do I do and now I'm leaving you because I'm not doing it anymore and it was very, very difficult because there were things going on in and around the household and the community that were unsafe and I knew they were unsafe. But I think it was the first time I realised I cannot be responsible for all of these small humans anymore. I'm not doing it. I have to leave. And my stepdad and his very strange girlfriend at the time um, kind of got an M.O. for it because he did marry my mother. So we had a little bit um like he took me um and like you could see like in the background it was like you know like a really sad movie scene but like it was scary for me yeah she looked terrified I could see her in the back as we were driving away she looked absolutely terrified and I didn't return I came back on holidays and occasionally I didn't really stay with her after that because I couldn't after I cut the cord, I was like, that, that's it. I'm not doing your shit no more. Um, so that was probably the first time. And I, up until you asking me that question and me seeing the questions, I hadn't really thought about it because I never really pitched myself as brave, but it was very, very hard to leave my brothers and sisters in a situation where there were no guarantees mm-hmm. and step away and know that that was the right thing to do. But if I hadn't, I would not have had a life. No no and you, you, you
0: might not be here yourself because of no. the strain of, of of dealing with
1: all that so i did probably had about nine kids um probably had a habitual drug habit probably have very severe mental problems i, I don't think I, if i would stayed there i would not have had a life that i wanted to choose i still didn't get to quite choose anyway but because i had to choose practical and i think later on we kind of come on to it like how i've sort of stumbled into comedy. Um, but we'll come back to that one.
0: Yeah, I think that's the thing though, when you're saying about you know, never thought of yourself as brave or a particular moment, because it was, you, you had to do it. There was no other choice in that yeah. moment. So you wouldn't necessarily go, well, I'm, not, I'm, I'm being brave. You had to do it for your own mental health, for your own sanity. Um, but then you can look back and go, wow, that was quite a yeah. moment. So what was it like then, like your first week at university? And how did you feel?
1: I was so lost, like I think when you grow up in an environment where it's just pure chaos, no one's teaching you anything either, so you don't know about budgeting, you don't know how to cook things that aren't in a deep fat fryer or come out of a box. you don't know you don't really know how to be a young adult, you just have no clue like I always had jobs like I always you know like earned money, um but I had to always hand it over. So I had no concept of oh I've suddenly got some money in my hand I don't know what to do with it mm. and it was it was really scary. I'd, the first few weeks I didn't I didn't find people very friendly either because I didn't realise that there was a Welsh English thing going on. <laughs> <laughs> you know <Yeah. laughs> which part of Wales was it? Wrexham Re- oh right okay yeah. So like I didn't know that was a thing again you know I didn't come from an environment where anyone would have ever told me that. And like particularly Southerners, so what i've what I've learned as time has progressed, Southern English people are like the the shit on the shoe of the country, aren't they yeah, you know, the Irish hate us, the scot you know the Scots hate us, probably the Mancunians hate us, everybody hates us, um Scousers hate us, and and you know when you're like, okay, so it was like my first Pip at discrimination, <laughs> yeah. of like oh, this is different, (laughs) I don't know what to do with it. But I found university very difficult in the sense that I never quite slotted in because I didn't quite understand how I was supposed to be. And when I saw like a lot of the people that were at the university that I was at came from not necessarily privileged backgrounds, but certainly polar opposite to what my experiences have been. I didn't connect with anybody who came from the same chaos Mm -hmm. except this one person and they were even too chaotic for me and I just think well that's judgy of me yeah Uh, but but you don't want to bring more chaos when you've just escaped it no and ironically I ended up moving with her here to Liverpool um and then it ensued in a lot more chaos but I found it very difficult to fit in. And I was only there for practicalities as well. Again, still got my practical brain on. What I really need to do, I only need the diploma. I don't need the degree because the diploma will get me a job that I want that pays quite well, which means I can look after myself and stay away from Bournemouth. And, And that's all that mattered. So I kind of like all the other stuff that went on, like I was involved with it at the time. Like I socialized, I had friends but again i was still kind of on the periphery a bit of an outcast you know was seen a little bit differently like i don't now have any contact with a single person that i went to university with mm-hmm. not one and i can barely remember most of them yeah because they just they just didn't build up that much significance for me and that's a shame really but i didn't connect with them we were just very very different people and i don't think i was understood so i just kind of you know, I'm just going to go through the motions of, of this university thing, but I'm only here to collect a piece of paper and then I intend on leaving. Yeah, And that's exactly what I did.
0: Yeah, which is <laughs> well, probably quite opposite to a lot of people's view. Uh, obviously, in our era, it was like, go to university, have a great time, and you know, the social side's probably more important. But mine yeah. was very similar when I went to university. I'd only literally turned 18 like three weeks before I moved out of home and into halls with eight other girls and yeah I felt very isolated obviously I was hiding my sexuality as well at the time and um yeah so I, I really resonate with what you're saying about not necessarily slotted in I mean I luckily I did make very good friends with the people I live with and then we went on to live together for the next few years as well as we came out of halls but it's a really difficult time and I think like my kids are teenagers now. And I I would never say, Oh, you must go to university because I don't think it suits everybody and I think you're too young when you, if you do go at eighteen, I think you need a bit of life experience. I mean obviously you'd had a lot of life experience so <laughs> it would probably seem much. quite yeah, same to you. But yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, when you look back at things like that and who you stayed in touch with and
1: Yeah, I wonder what they're doing. I mean I did have a good time. Like I racked up loads of debt. I I mean, I think it might have been my knowledge of how to work credit cards um, from an early age. I was probably one of the youngest people that knew how to clean the back strip of a credit card um to remove the the signature so it could be reused for criminal activity <laughs> <work dependency.
0: laughs> so i didn't
1: do that you just knew how to do it that's a story for another day yeah um, i had late night edition that's a, that's yeah. the late night edition yeah. that's probably there's some sirens on <laughs> yeah. um in the hope that no one's going to come and arrest me later yeah. um so yeah. i didn't know how to manage money either so um i i didn't know what like how to manage a credit card or a checkbook or a bank account i had no idea how to do any of these things and so i did probably waste a lot of my overdraft on alcohol shit i didn't need i even went on holiday to tunisia which i didn't like <laughs> <laughs> didn't like it there liked my trip to israel that was cool um these are all just really practical ways of spending a student money yeah, are not they yeah yeah <laughs> don't spend
0: it on living i mean i don't know about you but i was probably one of the last ages to get a grant so I actually got a grant. I did, yeah. I yeah. got a grant, yeah. Um, which paid for my calls basically. And then I think I worked alongside, it's favourite. But yeah, I think yeah. all my money went on alcohol and Finder's Crispy Pancakes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> what I lived on. My know? signature dish was uh, mashed cheese and beans. Yeah. Cubs, cobs, cards. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, dear. Well, that was quite a big, brave moment yeah. for you to do that. So I don't know whether I can actually ask this, but do you think you've got braver as you've got older?
1: I don't know if I've got braver or just smarter. Yeah. I think things that we don't do when we're younger, we we don't really learn until we get older. So I remember seeing a quote and whether Helen Mirren had said it or not, there's this meme knocking about that Helen Mirren had said, we should tell people to fuck off more often. And when I saw that, I thought, yeah, this one really should. We really should though. And I probably should have, Started telling people to fuck off and meaning it when I was younger, Mm. Um, and I didn't. And I think that's about being—is that being brave or is that being assertive? I'm not really sure which it is.
0: Probably a bit of both, isn't it? Really, I think it's being brave enough to know that you can deal with the consequences (laughs) of being that assertive, isn't it? Yeah. Because when you assert boundaries, people fall away sometimes, or they they resist the boundary that you're trying to assert. I'm a recovering people pleaser, and probably only this year probably learning to put boundaries in place. So, yeah, there's a few people I need to do that too, I think, a bit more often. It's something I've never done, but it is then you you set a boundary and then you're like, oh, God.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I've (laughs) definitely got better at setting boundaries, but I think the boundary setting has only really come in in the last few years. Like we're, 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 We're taught and conditioned to believe certain things about our lives, like you must love your family unconditionally. That's a fucking lie. You don't. You don't have to. Who says? Like, yeah. who decided that that was a good idea? Probably a man, actually. Um, or religion. Or religion. <laughs> yeah. Probably religion. And and we know that a lot of hate is is born from politics and religion. So we should probably just ignore both of those things. Um, but like, I think I'm just. I've got more choices now, which allow me to be braver. Um, I can say no to things that I would never have said no to. I think I've been horrible people pleaser because I think I've always tried to fit in somewhere, and I don't know why really. Because if I don't fit in somewhere, I really don't give a fuck. Actually. Yeah, and you don't want to be somewhere you don't want to. You don't fit in. So no. But I
0: think, like you say, going back to your childhood of feeling a bit on the peripheries of your friends, then you, there is something inside you that wants to fit in and find a tribe and um, so you do bend, bend round and I know it's similar to, to me when you've had that dealing with things at home from a young age where you have to keep the peace and yeah bend to, to make sure everybody else is okay it's deeply ingrained and it is hard to it is to turn around and say no I'm not going to do that anymore.
1: no not do that no more and I think even in my even in my career as well um, the amount of places I've seen my active people pleasing playing out, and then not serving me particularly well, I just think you bloody idiot, Heidi. Why? Why? Why would you do that? Um, there was I was laughing at a book that you've got on the table here around working with emotional intelligence, and um, one of my jobs that I had, it was a place where I ended up becoming very poorly as a result of a psychotic manager. There is no non-disclosure, by the way, so I can say what I like. (laughs) Um, So, he actually paid, he wasted organization money on getting the team to have emotional intelligence tests. You know, those pages? Psychometric. Psychometric Psychometric testing. Not because he wanted to identify how he could best make use of the skills of the people in the team. He wanted that so he could see how he could manipulate and control people And um, one of my friends Who we will be talking about um, Probably a little bit later She deliberately fudged the test (laughs) (laughs) So she I didn't realise it was a choice for me at the time Otherwise I'd have probably gone a step further And gone no fuck off I didn't take it particularly seriously And I definitely didn't answer all of the questions Like honestly Because I thought There's no value in this for me Mm -hmm. Like I know I'm not a moron I don't need a test to tell me I'm not I'm not you know emotionally intelligent or I am yeah I know I must be so um but she catastrophically just fucked it on purpose just to mess with his head and you know when you're like at that point I wish I had been just a little bit more braver and just folded my arms and gone no I'm not doing it Cause yeah. I didn't want to do it I said I didn't want to yeah I didn't see the point and I felt the control you could see the red flags which is very odd in an industry like ours mm-hmm. to see that kind of behavior. It's not it's not prolific in sort of social care. So I kind of knew what this was about and I kind of played along a little bit more than I probably should have done and I should have just gone no fuck off but at the time I was pregnant as well. So I was sort of carrying this precious cargo and thinking I haven't got time to be defiant right no. now I'm just gonna have to behave. And I need security with my job and that all plays into it
0: as well. Definitely. Yeah. <laughs> um, so moving on to laughter now. Yeah. So how we met and comedy. Hello. Uh-huh. And um you're a, a stand-up comedian as well. Enjoying that. Having a go with that. Yeah. Having a go. So what made you want to have a go at stand up comedy in the first place and, and do, of course?
1: So I think the pandemic was probably probably the was it the caveat i'm never good with the words Catalyst. Um, that's the one catalyst there we go see um that was the catalyst but there's always been a little bit of something there um we talked about the the lack of choices that i had when i was younger if i was able to choose what i wanted it would have probably been performing arts it would have been something creative it wouldn't have been like a a serious, you know, sort of career or anything. It, it would, not that acting and comedy aren't serious, oh, it is. job serves people, um, but it's not what I, have, I would have chosen. I would have definitely chosen something creative. And I, it's always been in me and people have always said like throughout my, you know, my career, oh, you know, you'd be really funny on the stage. And like, I kind of like understood what they meant, but also, hell no. No, there's no way I'm going on a stage. There's no way I'm holding a microphone. Mm. I've got nothing to say that's of value. I'm not that funny. Um, I can't write, you know, like all of those, like, no, no, no's. And then the pandemic, they sent me a bit wild. I got made redundant. Um, I was really bored. Um, I was working. Um, I was working at a rehab on bank for a local organization. So in between letting go to school Because he had to, because we were both working, Um, and then in the evenings I had nothing to do, and I kept seeing this course pop up from our mate Jane, Mm -hmm. Jane Parsalthway, and I asked a friend of mine who is an actor and said, "Do you recognise that person? Because I I don't know who they are. Are they legit, or is this one of them Facebook scams?" (laughs) Jane, I love this story. So. My friend wasn't sure, so she asked one of her friends again, who's also uh, a well-known actor, and they said, yeah, I've heard of her. She's legit. It's not a scam. So I was like, right, okay. And that was it then, and it's the first time I've spent money on something creative for myself. And that was it then. When I when I met Jane and I did that first session, I absolutely loved it. Um, and I'd forgotten what it was like to have that much fun I think the first activity we did that stayed with me was, do you remember doing it, you would have done it, Um, where we we had people on the other screen and you had to talk about something in the background that you really loved. And the minute you got to switch it and talk about what you didn't love, I was just in my element. It was just so much fun. And that that was it then, I was hooked. And I think since then, Jane has been very generous towards me because I haven't always had the resources for all of her courses oh that all rhymed well, we didn't add that into it a, a jingle later yeah. <laughs> um, so she's been very generous for me and offered me lots of opportunities to do I think every single course that she's got on offer and at the time I didn't realise where it was going to take me, I just knew that I really enjoyed it and it made me feel a bit a little bit alive for myself not that life is dead because I have a have a very nice life I'm I'm very lucky in life um but I felt like there was just this little something this little nagging thing you know that something has always called me and I've never been able to kind of play with it and you know Jane gave me that opportunity and then when I started meeting people and then I think when we had our first few improv sessions where we met you know when you're like these are my people yeah like I'm very blessed I've got some good friends but Sometimes they're not quite your people. Yeah. And I then it's different friends for different things
0: as well. Yeah. yeah the tribe that we've gathered mm-hmm. because we're all a bit bonkers. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Isn't I well? think, <laughs> or trollmen. <trawler. laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's definitely yeah.
0: a strong link between troll and comedy. Mm-hmm. Definitely is. But yeah, I think finding that tries and just being able to play and be an absolute knob, really. And be silly. It's like, like you're getting your childhood back that perhaps you didn't get
1: yeah. that when you were younger. It's just so much fun. And, you know, connecting with you and some of our friends that we've met through comedy and we've stayed friends as well. I think we stay friends because we have a really deep rooted connection with each other. And that is really, really important. But I, I think the first time. The first gig I did oh, was about a year ago. I think I did. The so no, hilarious gig gigapho- I oh, know you did no. the open mic. In the- I did a couple of open mics because I don't think, I don't think Jane would have let me anywhere near that microphone without some practice. Um, and <laughs> yeah. can't remember how many I've done before. So hilarious. because I think that was in March. Yeah, actually, you were kind of the term behind us where you did the stand up course. Yeah, a little bit behind, which yeah. is kind of how I roll anyway. I'm just, I'm just a little bit behind trying to figure it all out. Um but I, like, people always say this, and I, I know that I get asked, and I'm, sometimes I wonder if people believe me when I say, "I'm not sick before I go on a stage. I don't really feel that, and I don't know if that's years of therapy, and I'm just like the, I'm dead inside.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I always say that you are my emotional support animal at gigs because um, I've got less nervous as I've gone on. But when I've had, I've just done uh, hot water and there was a lot of other things going on at the same time. Uh,
1: and, hot water? Yeah. The rise. But, yeah
0: <laughs> and the surprised. Yeah. No, with, you know, with my mum and everything else, my, my uh, therapist and everything that was going on. But you have a, such a calm and steady presence. And it is
1: amazing to see how unfazed you are when you're performing yourself as well. Yeah. It's the aftermath for me, so um, I'm all right. Give me the mic. It feels like it's gonna sound like the cheesiest, cheesy thing you can say, but it kind of feels like home like I'm meant to be there, and almost like it doesn't massively matter what comes out of my mouth, I think that's been the last year of 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 kind of working a little bit around the circuit um you know, and you know gigs when I've really tanked and gone, oh. And, you know, sobbed for days and felt really bad. It's the aftermath for me. It's the self-deprecation comes the minute I get off the stage mm. and then analyzing everything that was shit because that's what we're conditioned for, isn't it? Yeah. Our brains are very much conditioned to look at all the shit stuff. Oh, we did that wrong, you did that That, that. i like, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when you get some wanker interrupt, do you remember that gig we did? And that those two drunk people kept Gagging in on my punchlines. Okay, yeah. Oh my god! You know when you're like, I don't know what's stopping me from like screaming in their face right now. <laughs> um, but I remained like really composed, and I tried to make the best of it. But really, what I wanted to do was wrap the mic around their heads. <laughs> um, but like I knew, like there was there was there was a third party involvement. But when there's no third party involvement, and it's all on me. I then get really really quite down about it Mm. Um, and that's something that I've really got to work on for myself because that's when it stops being fun.
0: Yeah and I think that's a danger isn't it because for me obviously I wanted to be a comedian from when I was like eight and used to watch Victoria Wood but only started doing it just before the pandemic I think I did Jane's last person workshop. and yeah, when you start to put too much sort of stock in it, because you're like, this is my childhood dream and I want to be brilliant stuff, it. And, and then you're like, hang on, it's comedy. It's supposed to be fun, it's supposed to have a laugh. And I think we both try and deploy the Millikan principle everywhere. We're allowed to sulk till 11 o'clock yeah. this morning about a bad gig. And then that's it.
1: Yeah, put it away. Sometimes I go a little bit past that. My, my, my first gig um, close to where I live. I mean, we've talked about it a few times. I tanked so bad. And like, my friends and family were there as well. And they were like, no, 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 you didn't tank. And I'm like, well, why didn't you fucking laugh then? (laughs) It was The room was just silent. You could have had a pin drop. I was dying on the inside. And um, like someone was trying to, you know when someone tries to put a shit sandwich together for you and you're like, no, this isn't gonna help me actually. I, I'm actually too clever for this yeah. shit sandwich they were like but you had the room's attention no one was bored you're like no <laughs> I think they were all just traumatized for the previous act who was really energetic like super high energy almost to the point where I could always feel the anxiety I was like oh my god how am I gonna how am I gonna do this I put too much pressure on myself yeah I felt I somehow I'd made it really important that this one went really well and actually yes of course it's always nice when gigs go well but I really needed to experience proper tanking because that was the first time it had happened whereas I've I've got by on my cheeky little set and and you know when it doesn't go well you're like oh fuck yeah
0: <laughs> yeah you just gotta go through it i mean yeah i, yeah. I think it's the only uh, one the thing that i love about comedy which is also one of the downsides is you can only learn by doing it and like if you add up what the stage time we've probably had collectively it's probably no more than three hours or something ridiculous with our five and ten minute sets Well, you look at the people who are on tv or whatever 11 years into their career thinking of stephen bailey he's only just hosted Right, yeah, the Apollo it's taken him 11 years of doing all the clubs probably tanking but obviously he does a lot of gay comedy I can imagine him going down not so well in some of the pubs that we write do a set in. <laughs> you know so and everyone's been through that so you've just got to remember that when you're sort of be self-critical
1: yeah it's very difficult it's very difficult but I think I'm getting a little bit better at it but I think I'm not going to be there for a while and I think some of that is about not having the time yeah. um, that I would love to dedicate to comedy. Um, I haven't got the time, but kind of readdressing all of those boundaries again for myself and saying, well, do you know what? It's okay to not have enough time for that because actually I need to prioritize family or health or work, you know, because those are the things that keep all my structure around me. And comedy is just a lovely bonus. Another so bonus. Yeah. I do try and enjoy lots of comedy as well. So, I'll try and get to as many gigs as I can um, just to go and watch. There's, there's a few really good ones that are near my house. So um, there's one in particular they have pretty decent acts on. Uh, so I quite enjoy going to that because it's just down the road. Yeah. It's and I'm not plugging for free. No. <laughs> no. Unless they're going to pay a me. <laughs> yeah. Is that uh, hard? Uh, it would be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But we're not, we're not giving up freebies. <laughs> no. No, no. no. no, no.
0: Yeah, so, so I'm going to say what makes you laugh. What? Who are your favourite comedians or style that you enjoy?
1: I do love Sarah Millican. Yeah. I think she's probably one of my favourite. Probably when I was younger, Victoria Wood would definitely have been somebody for me. I just love the way she is. Um, I love her comedy. I, I just, I think Sarah Millican is, is one of my faves and I think it's because it's, Very observational, very matter of fact, day by day. And I don't know if a lot of women of our age will fall into, like, the matter of fact, this is what's happening around me, and then we're kind of retelling it. Mm -hmm. I quite like that, because women are so busy. Like, in the 1940s, women didn't do all of this shit. They just stayed at home. They were forced to stay at home and wipe the asses of small children and serve their husbands they didn't have to have jobs even if they wanted them they weren't allowed them so women didn't have all of these extra things now we're expected to be everything all of the time and there's a lot of comedy in that trying to juggle family life focus on your health look after your mental health you know make sure you do something in, be mindful yeah. and I'm the least mindful person cuz there's just not enough room left in there no. so I really like observational um, comedy. I think probably Kathy Burke is one of my absolute favorites, and I think it's because she's—I wouldn't say she's political. She's very caring. She really gives a shit about human beings, yeah. And I love how she tells that, um, and I love the way she swears so much with it. I mean, you know, years ago people, were like, oh, you know people who swear a lot are not very clever and that's a lie you know it? it's not very ladylike is it well none of us are very ladylike are we and why should we be no um, um and what does that mean yeah. <laughs> that <good>? yeah. <laughs> could spend a whole nother hour on what the fuck does that mean yeah um but i think kathy burke is probably my favorite i love her the way she she talks about human beings as human beings and she kind of challenges you know the sort of the status quo of of how we, how we see society and how we see poverty and people who are like on the floor, like she elevates them, she makes them sound like, well, she doesn't make them sound, but they are important human beings. And I think I think if you sat me in a room with her, I could probably chat to her for hours mm-hmm. about, about just what it is to be a human being and to be kind. Um, mm-hmm. And to kind of challenge when people are being absolute knobheads. Yeah,
0: well, I think she speaks out as a she, where a lot of people are afraid to do so and gets yeah. yes, a lot of flack for it. She does. I mean, obviously, I follow her on Twitter and, you know, she gets some serious abuse, but I really don't think she gives a shit. Like, genuinely, there's some people who say that though, but they do deep down, but I think genuinely she doesn't.
1: Genuinely, I don't think she gives a flying fuck what other people think. And, and I don't think that that's, that's not a bad thing. I mean, there's some element for me I'm not quite there in terms of not caring what other people think. But she doesn't have to. No. Because she's in a, she's in a position of power. She's got a voice. And I kind of think if I could emulate a comedian like Kathy Burke, where you can, you can have a voice and you can do something good with that, like that's kind of where I would like to be at yeah. some point. Well, that kind of brings us on to the next topic of inspiration because it sounds like she's been an inspiration to you she has she has so i do have um a friend of mine that i met 10 years ago um in one of my jobs where we had the dick boss um, she's the same person um her name's nikki um, she's the same person that deliberately fudged the uh the the emotional intelligence test i was thinking about like why is she an inspiration for me and uh, i went to visit her recently she's moved to jersey um for a for a job and she's not long lost her mum. And I don't know if that's about her being brave or going, right, I need a complete change because she's from Scotland. Right. Um, so she's come from Scotland. She's gone to Jersey to take on this job. She doesn't know the culture. She doesn't know the community. She doesn't know a bloody person on the island. And she's just gone, no, fuck okay, it, come on. I'll try that and give it a go. Um, but she is a real inspiration. Like We've been friends for 10 years and we met during work. And we connected very quickly and she always jokes with me she's like all of my friends are neurodiverse Heidi (laughs) and I'm like I don't know what you mean and the last time I saw her she was like yeah but Heidi (laughs) like like she's like your ADHD is spilling all over the place and I'm like no I'm not really sure it is um but she's an inspiration because she doesn't let up for a second she is relentless and fierce in so many different ways so whenever i spend time with her or we'll have a little you know a little chat through text or sort of thing like she challenges me in a way that nobody has ever challenged me before she really makes me think she's a she's a real empath for the world um So we host um, foreign students at our house to make a couple of extra quid. And we'd accepted a student who has halal. And I hadn't really thought about it. And I sort of, we were chatting about it because she's a vegetarian. Of course she's a vegetarian. She's not gonna wanna eat something with a face (laughs) on it Um, because she's just too good a human being for that. And um, she said, Heidi, why would you accept that? And I'm like, accept what? And she's like, why would you accept somebody who, who wants to eat meat that way? And, and I'm like, I don't know what you mean. And then she's like, how is halal produced? And you know when you're like, whoa, oh, I never really thought about that. Mm-hmm. Now, this isn't about someone else's culture. This is about like, what we're prepared to accept as human beings as being okay. And yeah. um, Actually, no, it's not okay. And I think she's probably the first person that's made me work on my nose with people. Because I think, is, isn't it in Grey's Anatomy? No is a whole sentence. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I've never watched it, um, but I picked that up from somebody else and they said, oh, that's from Grey's Anatomy. Okay, I'm not watching that program. But she really makes me see that. Like she opens up my brain and kind of, like, I don't have to explain how my brain goes with her. She totally gets it. Mm. And that's probably because she's also on the spectrum. Yeah. Um, and she's she's very, very clever. Like, if she, like, say, like, that rock on the table, what is that? Uh, that's Labradite crystal. Another Labradite crystal. Yeah. So I would look at that, okay, that's a Labradite crystal. That's very interesting. It's very pretty. And that would be the end of my engagement with that particular piece of rock. Nikki, however will then go away and look up all of the origins of that and trace it back to, like, medieval times or beyond so that she then knows everything there is to know about that rock. And she is like that with everything. Music, literature, the art, people. And you're just like, wow, that she's she's something else. But she makes me a better human being. Whenever I go and spend time with her, I come back feeling like a better human being. And you can't really ask for more than that. It's, it's
0: great when you come across people like that in your life. And I call them soul sisters or soul family. And because, as we discussed, your family isn't always necessarily who you feel actually aligned with. But if you can find someone like that that can have such a massive impact in your life, it has such a profound effect on everything you do, doesn't it? And you know that you'll be bonded for life through thick and thin, whatever happens. You might have always stayed up with each other all the time, but, you know, it will be there.
1: Definitely. Yeah. There'll be a lot of people going, well, how come I wasn't your inspiration, Heidi? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, you can't unpack my brain like Nikki Karen. Sorry. No. <laughs> and, and are there any other sort of inspirations for your comedy? You've discussed that with really?
0: mean, people in the you. Is there anybody else that inspires you in the in the public domain?
1: In the public domain? <laughs> Do you know what i'm not that deep <laughs> i try not to pay too much attention um and i don't often remember people's names i don't know if you've ever picked up on that i i don't have a good memory um for people someone has to be truly quite memorable for me to remember them yeah and that isn't me being disrespectful to another person it's just that unless I've made a connection with someone, I'm probably going to forget them, Yeah, which is probably why I don't remember people from university. I remember almost nobody from school. Um, I have one really good friend from school and that's it. And, And I think someone has to bring something to my table for them. And I think when you look at people in the public domain, these are people that often are not bringing anything to my table. No. so therefore they don't feel important to me they don't register they don't register yeah. um i can kind of and i think i don't know if that's because i've had a lot of therapy ticket interventions i can just go boop, and just drop them yeah. yeah um no 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 there's lots of people that get in my tips. <laughs> <laughs> yeah
0: it's disgusting said other one. reverse inspiration but reverse inspiration. i don't want to be like that. <laughs> <laughs> But well, maybe that's, the, yeah, the difference in our, yeah, perhaps our neurodivergence, but that's perhaps an ADHD trait, maybe, whereas my my daughter's autistic and has ADHD and I will do things and say things and she just points to me guess, well, just stick. <laughs> <laughs> and goes, autistic. And I'm like, oh. yeah, that's funny. Whereas I, I remember the mindy shy detail of everything <laughs> at the time and it's <laughs> exhausting. I wish I had quite like a pen drive to be able to download some of my thoughts. So we've talked about who inspired you well, how would you want like to inspire other
1: people? I often think that because the work that I do does, does mean, whether it's inspiring or motivating, I think, is probably a little bit... I forgot the question already, look at that. And no, so, so, how do you want to inspire other people? I think... I kind of want to show people, like, you've got choices there's doors and you can walk through them and there are choices that you can make and in the work that I do, um, a lot of the work is around encouraging people to make choices in their life that maybe they didn't make before um, and to be a little bit braver and to try something new. And I think because I bring a lot of, a lot of human baggage with me, I've had a lot of experiences of shit going wrong and, when I meet the people that I work alongside, I kind of, they don't see that when they see me until I, I tell them, mm-hmm. um, and I'm very careful about what I talk about. So, I do talk about my mental health with people when it's appropriate to do so, um, and where it's necessary, I'll talk about therapies and the fact that I'm being through mental health services, and they're often a bit, oh, a bit shocked by that. They're like. You yeah, know, you've got you should tell us I I yeah, have I? <laughs> Has anybody ever been about shit together? Um but they don't know that and because they'll they'll hear my voice and think, Oh, posh accent. There we go. She's from down south, she's had a lovely I <laughs> did think you were being a white right when training and when I heard down the I was like, Oh man, no, 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 It's just an accent, isn't yeah, it? Like yeah. any other accent. But people have misconceptions when they hear my voice and I think When I'm on the comedy circuit, that means I've got to work a little bit harder because people will assume I'm just a fucking Tory in disguise. (laughs) Um, And that actually makes me feel like walking It's disgusting, the idea. But in terms of being able to kind of inspire people, I am very fortunate in that when I tell people, well, do you know, actually, that kind of intervention might be really good for you and this is how I know why because I can make a connection without telling them I completely connect with your life Um, as we have to be boundary, and we have to be very sensible about not blurring those boundaries at people but when you hear people's stories so often do I hear my life, and I think well do you know what I have yeah, sort of got my shit together I'm, I feel like I'm quite privileged but I earned it and it wasn't given to me and I had to work hard and I still have to work hard but um I think it does make a difference when people are like, okay, you're just like me. And, and I think that is really important. And I think when you go out into comedy, people want to make a connection with you. And when I start my sets and I talk about the fact that I'm from Bournemouth and it's an affluent place and I've got this accent that would suggest I'm quite posh. And then when I start going through my set, people go, you don't really sound very posh do they? It kind of what did you call it? It's, it's an interesting juxtaposition. Yeah, that's my biggest word of the day, Plans of the week. That's all I've got. Oh. Bit of gold star for us. thank you. Um, <laughs> I had you know, to look. At, I've heard that word loads of times, and I had to look it up to see how it matched. <laughs> um, but that's what I want to do. I, I want to be able to let people know that you can recover, you you can get better, you can live the life that you want to. It, you know, and it isn't always about, like, everyone imagines that you want to live in a big house and have a big car and, you know, and actually most people just want their basic needs to they want a warm, safe home, they want people around them that love them and care for them unconditionally, and it will feed on the table. Yeah. Like, all the other stuff is just glamorous shit, isn't it?
0: Yeah, that was that much to I see that, well, it's sad, sadly failing in this country at the moment it's
1: massively failing people are really going without and they're not even getting basic i mean we could spend hours on this but people's basic needs aren't being met and when your basic needs are not being met how are you meant to manage all the other stuff and so part of my everyday work is about helping people to find other ways to manage and i think well, if i can do that and that's and that's why i like my job and love my job it's great and because I get to do that all the time, mm-hmm. it's not always successful because some people are just, just not able to kind of work with me at that time. And that's coming Um we're a revolving door. So I think I've worked with at least a couple of people three, four times in the last couple of years and I'll probably see them again because changing your behavior takes time. Yeah. And it's not an overnight thing, is it? We're
0: kind of, you you're in a good position, it's not an overnight thing, so. Now, when you're fighting on all fronts, just be so basically, it's then it's an all nother level of difficulty. Definitely. And I think that is something I've learned uh, through comedy and through building lists is showing your vulnerabilities to people really makes a massive difference. And I say, people are like, I don't know how you do it up there on stage and do that. But then I thought about what's led me to that. And then people, I bake famous compliments, people caught to me afterwards, and go, Oh my God, and we're so talking about my, like, you know, especially when I talk about a difficult relationship with my mum, and that resonates with so many, particularly women. And they say, I will be answer to laugh at that. It's so cathartic. But you do have to expose those vulnerabilities. And I think there's I think there's more and more people doing it, and not like i in this front of, yeah, everything's great, you know, it does And I think we need it a bit more. I mean, I um I having to go through what I've been through recently. I've been inquiring about struggling today, actually, but I have to concentrate on this because my brain's all over the place, um, but I will come back to it when my brain's working and I'll, I'll do it properly. But it's much it's much more hard to say that than go, oh, actually, I've got COVID or I've got cold, so I'm off sick. Yeah, I think we need to sort of know the lines going, just having a bad day today. Yeah, it's
1: that. <laughs> my friend shared this with me yesterday, actually. Um, We were at Kick's party, and she said, I just haven't felt well. And for the first time in years, she just stopped. She's like, I didn't didn't do uni, I didn't go to work, I called it sick. And as she said, I called it sick, but just everywhere in her life. Yeah. And you know when you're like, why is this not celebrated? Why are we, why why is women, I think, particularly, no offence to producer guy over there, but why are women unable to say, I need to rest, I need to stop, uh, I, I need to call in sick. We just keep plumbing on, don't we? And then it gets worse and words because like,
0: your physical health suffers. So then because you're feeling politically ill, your mental health suffers. And then in the spiral, it's very hard to get out of the spiral. And I, I was forced to stop when my mum was in hospital. I got COVID and got offside with my own business. So there's no one working. There's no one doing it, there's no one coming in. But I just had to say, I've got to stop now because my body is saying, stop. Otherwise, there'll be a much more serious stop in the near future. Yeah. And I think that's the thing you've got to listen to yourself. you have to do that as you get older as well. And you're writing on the older
1: lady conditions that we have to face as well. It's yeah. all about menopause. Yeah. I can hate that. I can but you know, people say that phrase, oh, we love that for you. In like, fact, can we not switch that? Menopause. Hate that. Hate that. Yeah. <laughs> it fucking stops, doesn't it? Yeah. Also, uh, apparently, there are 67 different menopause symptoms. There's probably more. 67.
0: But well, I heard this day that GPs only get two hours of training after the menopause. Wow. So that's it. That's that's the standard provision. So, especially if you go and see a male doctor and then experience it. They've had two hours failing and the time. Let just pull yourself
1: together. <laughs> Literally the most irritating comment. I mean, it, it, if anyone in Liverpool listens to this podcast, is a really top tip for you. If your GP isn't paying it, because this is the arena we're working, if your GP is not paying attention to your symptoms, ask them to get on and they do a monthly, not a monthly, a weekly call with a uh, consultant called Paula Briggs. She's like a menopause guru. There's nothing she doesn't know. Um, but GPs can have constant access to her um, and ask her questions. And so I met her at a uh, seminar and you know, when you're like, oh, I'm so glad I did because now I have a coil okay. and I'm not gushing everywhere. You know, <laughs> that, 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 that. So yeah, there we go.
0: So moving on to Spark, mm. where did you find your Spark from after all that adversity that you faced and you made your big move? What gave you your spark, do you think?
1: I don't, know. I don't know when or or what. I don't know if there was a particular thing. Do you mean like spark is in terms of spark for comedy or just, just life spark. spark? Yeah, your life spark. I think I'm
0: not going to put up with where I am in life.
1: So, I I think I could probably pin it a little bit better. So, um, Leighton, my absolute lunatic of a child, um, just turned 10 he was probably my spark um so we had leighton everything dramatic in my life um we couldn't have children naturally so um he was a product of ivf there's a lovely story that goes with that because he was our one and only functioning egg as well wow so it was literally one egg in the entire barren basket of my womb um so when i when i became pregnant with leighton I'd also started a job. Um, It was an organization I'd previously worked for and had a brilliant experience. Um, I'd gone back to, to be part of another project and I was met with Psycho Boss from Hell. And there was a lot of things going on around that. I could see it all playing out. You could see all the red flags, but I just decided, no, 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 I'm just not gonna engage with this because I need to protect this one and only egg. 'Cause I might not mm-hmm. get another chance. Mm-hmm. So, um I let it go um quite a lot. And when he was born, um, because I didn't qualify for mat leave, um, I had to go back to work quite quickly. So I was back maybe four months after having him, which, you know, for most parents that's utterly ridiculous. That's not time off with a new baby at all. It's not even enough time for your body to recover, never mind bouncing out a child, mm-hmm. it it's 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 hard down there you know yeah. so i'm very glad i adopted <laughs> well that would have been our next route yeah adoption would have been our next route but um managed to squeeze one out so oh, well, that sounds like a poo doesn't it <laughs> producing enough spring you haven't shipped your child out no. so um when i was back in work alongside being extremely tired because I had a non-sleeping child. He didn't sleep all the way through until he was three and a half. So I honestly don't know how I didn't crack sooner. Wow, I just feel exhausted, you thinking about that. Yeah, I have an irreversible eye condition because of sleep deprivation. He is completely responsible for that and he's gonna know about that for the rest of his life. So yeah, I'd bring that up on his wedding day. And the speech, yeah. yeah, 18th, yeah. 21st wedding day, yeah, it's all coming. Yeah, he can expect it all. So, I then, when, when I'd had him and I went back to work, I felt like it was time to tackle the psycho boss from hell. But because I'd let a lot slide, and that happens in life, doesn't it? If you let certain behaviours go all the time, it then becomes more difficult to address those behaviours. And I thought, no, fuck it, this doesn't apply here. Because yeah. I have no choice but to be here, because I need to earn money to pay bills and, and you know, have a life and I'm I'm not going to let one stupid little man, and he was a little man. Um, He was only about five foot five, so he was a little man. (laughs) He kind of reminded me of Lord Farquhar from Shrek. (laughs) He had the head on the body, he was a dick. Um, Anyway, Um, and a little Northern Irish dick as well. (laughs) So um, I just decided I'd had enough. So I started documenting everything that he was doing Um, I wrote everything down It's probably the most organised I've ever been in my life And um, I think we had One particular occasion where he'd he'd Asked way too much of me It wasn't possible to do um, And I wasn't prepared To compromise And it was at that point I thought I've had enough, I'm going to throw all Of this stuff over to the director Um, So I did I've never done that before I've never challenged I mean I've always been someone who kind of questions authority always been a little bit like that but never to the extent that I did and unbeknownst to me at that moment when I put my complaint in um, and I named gross misconduct because of some of the things that he was doing Um, other people had also put complaints in in the same week there was and and there was this this thought that there was some sort of collusion going on it was a targeted attack kind of thing. And it absolutely wasn't. Yeah. I just don't know if a, a particular group of people have just all snapped at the same time yeah. and thought, fuck this shit, I've had enough. Yeah. Um, but I put the complaint in and he was suspended that day. Wow. And you know when you just have this like, oh, thank Gorilla and I, yeah. and, and I, I think, and I think if I hadn't have had Leighton, would, have I, would I have allowed that to continue a bit longer? Would I, I think maybe I would have addressed it earlier because it's you know coming back to that sort of addressing behavior a bit quicker mm. um, when you see it coming up and kind of saying, no, I don't like that. No, that, that's not acceptable. Because there, there was me doing that as well, kind of calling out a few things but not going too nuts. So when I put that complaint in and it got suspended, it was like having a massive wall just it was the best feeling um and then it wasn't because it was quite terrifying but I think without Leighton I probably wouldn't have, have have found and I think from that experience it has made me a completely different human being I'm not the same person post psycho boss trauma yeah because I ended up becoming quite unwell as a result of that um and I learned a few months later where what exactly that was. Um, And it's kind of allowed me to put boundaries in and like boundaries is probably the theme for me today. Yeah. yeah. Um, Because now when I go to work, I have very clear boundaries and I've had to learn and my friend Nikki, um, my my inspiration, she said, Heidi, have you tried something called radical candor? And I'm like, oh God, tell me what that is. And it's about caring personally about people, but challenging directly. And I needed to learn how to do that because I was then fearful of going into workplaces because the whole complaints procedure and being interviewed over and over and over again, people looking for holes in your story when there weren't any, like it was all very evident. You're the wrongdoer. Of course I am, of course it's the woman. (laughs) Couldn't possibly be Lord No. Um. So when I, when I started listening to um Radical Candor I was like yeah this this is this really resonates with me and and again this all started from from this one little boy and I realized you know what I'm gonna have to tell people to pack that shit in because am I gonna let my son get away with stuff like that no (laughs) and you know yourself you're you're a mom you're a parent like if we don't call our children out on their bullshit like we're setting them up to fail when they're bigger. Yeah, and
0: you I know well, the facts of that generational thing that we'd started on, I Me mean, that you were saying going all the way back in your history of your grandfather, and we are now the generation where we could stop that generational trauma and the generational habits, and we do owe it to sort of the future generation to do that, don't we? So, but you do need a bit of spark. <laughs>
1: you do, you definitely need a bit of spark. It needs to come from somewhere, and you've got to be prepared for what might be uncomfortable So I would consider myself to be quite a good manager. Like I work really well with my team. I think we've got a lot of honesty, but a lot of that has come from using medical candle because say you were like doing something really annoying, like all the time in work, like it might be, I don't know, like tapping on the table, constantly whistling, but it really made me feel annoyed. Now I had an incident in another place. I worked, um, before the pandemic and the team of people that i'd inherited were inherently just do what the fuck they want when they wanted and then i've arrived and gone no no you're not no, no doing it like <laughs> but there was one person and, and they did bring their own mental health shit to the table and um, when they were having a bad day everybody got to know about it door slamming fridge slamming stomping I would be deliberately left out of tea runs. You know, if someone's offering, but not tea. Not tea, we've just stuff if you don't drink
0: tea. You can't. I have found the error of making Heidi <laughs> a tea this morning because I asked her for it in a brew and she actually wanted a coffee, but when you're northern, brew means tea. So
1: I would never make that mistake <laughs> well, again. Don't offer me a tea, it won't go down well. Well, well it won't go down. It's, a problem, no. now it's I've gone down the scene. scene. That's where it's gone. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, her behaviour was off the scale, but. I don't think anybody had told her that's not acceptable in the workplace. And because that had gone on for so long, it was then accepted in the workplace that that, that was how you dealt with her. You just, yeah, like, well, go on with Mary. it. She's always like, yeah, yeah. yeah. let her go on with it. Yeah, she's having yeah. a bad day. Just yeah. leave it to it. She'll be all right in a bit. And I just thought, no, this is having an uncomfortable effect on me because of the environment I'd come from. Working in a toxic work environment is not healthy. You've got to challenge it. And actually, it's my workplace. I have to spend more time there than I get to spend at home. So it damn well needs to be a decent environment mm-hmm. for me. So I started listening to Radical radical Candor podcasts. Um, and when I first sat down with this person um, and used Radical Candor, it kind of, it went okay. It got better as time progressed. And I just sat them down and said, I'm not sure if you're aware, but I think it's really important for me to share this with you, that when you come into work and it's it's been a difficult morning for you and you are slamming doors and banging things and kind of being quite rude to people, it makes me feel really uncomfortable. I just wanted to kind of share that with you and see if you had any thoughts on that. I mean, she didn't take it particularly well the first time. No. And I think it was because of the way, it was a little bit, it was a bit obnoxious in the way that I delivered it and I hadn't meant it to be um, because the, the practice of Radical Candor is about caring personally. And at that point, did I really care about that person personally? Probably not. Yeah. Um, I got More to know about, them yeah. better and then yeah. I did. Yeah. But at that point, I just wanted their behavior to stop because it was making me feel really uncomfortable. It was affecting other people, but they were quite happy. But, but it was bothering me. I didn't want to work in an environment like that. Um, but it did get better. But, you know, I think we have a responsibility as human beings to call people out. Mm. Like, hey, that thing that you're doing, it really fucking annoys me. Otherwise, you build up loads of resentment, don't you? Yeah, and I think
0: there's so much in, in that in offices that that must be the case. And um, it's tight, ty- it's probably tiny things sometimes. Like, you know, you always put the milk back in the fridge in the wrong direction, you know, do something really <laughs> trivial. Or, no, and it just builds up, but then it'll end up actually in a blazing row about <laughs> something else completely unrelated. And I suppose it's the same in any relationship, partnership. That if you just actually say, "It's really annoying me," actually, you know, like Joe says to me, "Can you just move your socks out of the Or Like, could you just move your socks to put your shoes like in a straight line? Because like, we always joke, if we, you know, if we ever get a divorce, it'll be because of my socks being left. <laughs> In random places, <laughs> so but that, that's like on a on a funny level. But it is that you know that that minutiae is something that builds up into something big. Um, but the radical be, yeah, it's not. It's, just, it's a concept I've heard of, but not something I've looked at and seen in great depth. So might have to get someone on the podcast who can talk about that alongside your menopause, lady. I think she'd be a great
1: if yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> if you can get your hands on her, yeah. <laughs> but. I forgot what the bloody question was. We've rabbited on. Well, that was your spark, I think. Oh, it was, oh, was yeah. spark, yeah. sir, Nathan. Yeah. So moving on to success then, yeah.
0: what's your definition of success and has
1: that changed over the years? It's definitely changed over the years. Um, when I was younger, I thought success was about having money. Yeah. Um, and having like a big house and a fancy car and you know, that's, that's what I thought successful was and being the CEO of a company that that would have been, yes, that's, that's what success is. And as I've got older, I have well actually, success for me is just basic needs. Yeah. Like the basics, um, home, loving family, good relationships, good friends, food on the table. Um, and I think for the most part, most people were kind of like that. But like, uh, I read a book, oh, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck absolutely love that book it's something i go back to every time i'm kind of like wobbling off oh, and thinking yeah having yeah. a wobble and one of the things they talk about in that book is about being mediocre and that being perfectly okay um i think we forget that that's all right like i i consider myself to be mediocre i don't have an issue with that i don't think i'm there you don't think i'm down there i mean you probably don't think i'm mediocre. not mediocre. but in my view my lens is there's nothing there's nothing particularly special about me I'm not particularly intelligent or clever like I can't remember details of things fuck I can't even remember what I did last week so <laughs> you know I'll see people in the street you know, they'll have a full-on chat with me and I'm like no clue no i no, no. not a clue who you are <laughs> but I'll go along with it like yeah. I look like it I'm like yeah yeah great Ooh, no idea um but success for me is 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 what I have right now, um, I have choices and that's success in itself. When we look at the level of deprivation in this country, it's, it's vital. These are people without choices and, or, or less choices, but also they don't see themselves as successful. So when we work alongside, um, people will look at little things. That can help build on that idea of what success looks like. Right. Because success to us might be I get a 15 minute gig and it's paid. Yeah. Like that's success for us. But success to someone that I work with is I got up today and got dressed and brushed my teeth and went outside. Yeah. And that's success. a success set for them. I think it's on it's on measure, isn't it? It's got to be different for different people. And You know, some people really struggle with those basic things like getting up and getting dressed. Mm. Um, And that's why I kind of like, you know, it's a hard question as a kid. Well, I think,
0: but when you said, when you said you were younger and you you think of the material things that you you measure as success, but really when you look at that, it's core. It is about safety and your basic needs being met, isn't it? And when you're younger and you think the way of having that met is to, to be rich or to have material yeah. things. So it still comes back to that core of feeling safe and secure. And then I mean for me it's a lot of it it's to do with freedom as well, which I guess is to say as having choices, to choose what you want to do and how you do things. And yeah, the material things. I mean I, my dream was always to have a you know an Lamborghini or whatever. Because that's the circles I was moving in when you you know, being in the legal world especially being a northerner and going down to London and mixed in with the legal circle down there. It was all about money. And I remember my first day at bar course, and they said, why do you want to be a barrister? And I said, oh, because I want to assert rights for people who can't do it for themselves. And he literally <laughs> laughed and said, what? What do you mean? <laughs> what do you mean? You mean, no, you're just doing it Do you want to make money. That's the only reason to be a lawyer. And I was like, oh yeah I'm not sure <laughs> we're, a, we're on the right path here so it does and it is amazing how it moves over time and I think perhaps when you have your own children as well and especially like when you've got children with additional needs that it is a completely different measure success to them as well and that's what I was saying before you know it's not about going to university getting a degree it's like can you get up and I've had this conversation with my brother Navy that i said i don't want you to have to wait till you're 45 to follow your dream like i have i want you to wake up and go right i'm gonna get up i'm gonna do my art i'm gonna be do design my fashion and do it now don't wait and that's why we're trying to encourage her to, to get to that point so that she's happy but that's not a message you get in the media it's still as you've just said about feeling mediocre. Okay, everything's all about and improve yourself. Well, you know, self improvement—that's
1: like a whole iron in waterstones. Um, and and that, what does that look like? Well, what does self because because self improvement to us looks like? How can I better myself as a human being? How can I? Learn, I like just looking around here with all the different books you've got and the the book in the toilet about it's okay to be weird. We're all weird. weird. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you know, you're like that's a that's a book I would probably pick up. But like, who decides? Who defines? like like what that is meant to be yeah. yeah it's not fair to say when somebody should be <coughs> doing things that are going to fulfill a dream like i think it's wrong that we've had to wait <laughs> yeah to to middle age them to to follow dreams and aspirations that we had when we were younger based on the fact that you know i think for me i didn't have choices so therefore i didn't get to dream and now I'm like middle-aged. Okay, I can, I can dream now. Yeah. I can dream of things that I want to be doing and, and that, that's okay and that's supported. But right. why, should, why should anybody have to wait? It's right. unfair. And it doesn't even need to be about resources. I think it just needs to be about finding your right people, does not it? Yeah. Find some people that inspire you who aren't going to be judgmental. Um, well, maybe they are going to be judgmental because we're all judgmental. It's one of those annoying questions on jobs and two things, isn't it? Tell me about all the different ways you're not judgmental. I always deliberately <laughs> go the opposite and say, well, actually, it's a really stupid question. Yeah. <laughs> Probably why I've lost out on jobs in the past.
0: <laughs> Everybody is, aren't they? Whether you try to see it or not, it's just in the bill, isn't it? Because you know, they say that someone's made a decision on whether they like it or not the like seven seconds is meeting you, first impressions, but I think that's an energetic thing get into the woo woo side of things and why you're drawn to some people and repelled by others. But yeah, that first impression, I mean you got instinct, it's generally right. Yeah,
1: a success to some people is um, like what their face looks like. Like the explosion, literally the explosion of, of women particularly who are injecting their faces left, right and centre. It's crazy, I was,
0: but wow. he'll do And then they're like, <laughs> they're like oh, I'm, they were 23 and having Botox. And I was like, I mean, everybody's free to do what they want. There's talked about being non-judgmental, but I'm like, but you're 23, you've got lovely skin. You don't need it to be injecting yourself with some sort of point. You've got
1: no wrinkles, love. Leave wow. your
0: face alone. And I think that's the problem with social media and that for worry for our next generation and certainly my teenagers is what they're being exposed to all the time. Yeah. And like that's why I set up Building Bliss as sort of an antithesis to the usual wellness content of people floating around in white in their LA houses. And you know, this is i mean, yeah. they don't
1: see a sound bath here, but is there one? Uh I've been in some I have a miniature uh, sound bowl over there. So. but
0: as I say, you know, my mission is well being without the wankiness. So uh Which is good for me. Yeah, that's what we try to achieve. So to wrap up then,
1: mm-hmm.
0: now as we have a, a tradition on this podcast, which is the reverse of the user one, because you normally say, uh, what would you say if you could see yourself now? But I like to ask guests, what would you, your younger self say to you if they could see you now?
1: Oh, good. I like that question. It's quite good. And um, probably she'd want to say, who no, the fuck are you? <laughs> Oh, I don't recognize you. <laughs> I recognize you one little bit and um, I think she, probably younger Heidi would definitely be like completely unrecognizable as a human being mm. Um on so many levels Um I think she'd probably say yeah. you made really good choices probably a little bit too sensible sometimes which doesn't really fit in with who I am as a human being because I am a massive child a lot of the time and not particularly sensible, but I think she'd say you, you've done the right thing at the times when you did them. I'd like to hope she'd be saying you waited a bit too long yeah. to follow some of those some of those dreams. She's probably got a point, um, but it, it's life, isn't it? Yeah. This is this is what happens. When but it's never
0: you... too late. That's I think
1: something you realise when you get
0: older is it isn't ever too late. Huh? and I know I feel like I'm aging backwards at the moment it's really <laughs> weird so I, I remember being 20 and like there be people at work who were 40 and they'd be like oh god they're well old aren't they and now I'm 46 i like, I don't feel any different I actually feel younger because I'm finally doing the things I wanted to do when I was younger not to get into too deep inner child stuff but um, <laughs> yeah but I do feel that and I think you know that that not giving a shit does grow as you get older Um, it definitely does you can't can't impart to younger people you've just got to live through the muck and bullets and come out the other side
1: hopefully I think um, she'd probably tell you a lot of people are going to tell you a lot of lies a lot of lies so messaging I heard when I was younger so I think we were talking about um, how people, how particularly women view themselves my auntie used to always say to me if you just lose some weight, you'd be very pretty. Classic. And you know when you're like, at the time, you're like, right, okay. So attractiveness is measured on how much you've got hanging off your ass. Yeah. Right. So therefore, I am unattractive. But that was constant messaging. But it was a lie. Yeah. And we've still got a a succession of women now who think that that they're measured on what their body looks like or what their face looks like. I know we've had a little bit of a, little bit of a, what the fuck about the Botox stuff? because it's just gone a little bit too crazy. But like, who the fuck got to measure how attractive someone is? And in the same breath, it's like the people are measuring how intelligent people are. Mm -hmm. So when I was at school, I didn't do very well. I did all right, not a complete idiot. But I wasn't there that much and i thought the teachers were lazy on reflection yeah if they picked up on things that i needed from them to meet basic needs would i have done better at school of course i would have done yeah you weren't it's not for a lack of intelligence it was a lack of resource and stability that you need yeah. to be in a position to learn but i think my younger self would would definitely be telling me people are going to lie to you a lot and you've got to pick up on those lies a lot quicker because it's going to save you a lot of pain mm. and a lot of, a lot of upset because I've spent, since my childhood, what, what are we on, three decades, moving into the four decades of pure self-loathing, thinking there's something wrong with the way I look. And that as just a basic function has monotonized my adult life, always trying to lose weight, always trying to be fitter, always trying to look nicer. Yeah, and I just think, I've wasted such a lot of time on that subject yeah but that was instilled at me from a child and i think younger younger me would definitely be saying now just let that shit go let that go let it go before it affects you like this because
0: it does yeah you know it's so ingrained though isn't it especially our generation and it just seems to get worse that everything's based on physical appearance all the time and not what you can bring to the party and it's something you have to overcome when you're a comedian because you have to watch your videos back.
1: Oh, <laughs> I like, fucking hate oh, that. No. <laughs> um,
0: so you do have to get over yourself a bit, don't you?
1: Yeah, it is helpful for, it is helpful for that. Like when I watch my, my videos back, I cringe. I cringe at the sound of my voice. Like when I hear this back, I'm going to be like, oh, my man, <laughs> I sound like such a knob. <laughs> but I'm going to pull every little thing apart every little thing apart but that's years of learning how to do that and and i'm so thankful that you have building bliss because you're doing the exact opposite and the younger you can work alongside people the better because instead of learning to tear ourselves down at a really early age we need to learn to build ourselves up not psycho i'm the best in the world like because that also doesn't really land very well with the general population no. just makes you look stupid to the trump realms of self <laughs> that's <laughs> that's world power <sociopathic. laughs> <laughs> nice, nice little narcissist in the afternoon yeah but that's what we're missing i think and you know it's so lovely that that this is something that you're doing and you've got that going on now and you know the more people we can do that, again, it links into one of your questions about inspiration. If we can teach people the skills of what their self-worth is and actually that they are beautiful, um, because I don't know about you, but I see an awful lot of ugly human beings and it's got nothing to do with how they look. Oh, God, yes. (laughs) Yeah, they might be the most attractive Mm. person in the world. Symmetrically. Yes, but their (laughs) personality is very ugly. Hideous. Mm, And I find... Those people, are very very ugly, very ugly human beings, um, and like you say, they might look aesthetically pleasing. Uh, you come across them all the time, and I think with men that happens a lot. Like you'll see men, and, and they might be nice and you know an attractive-looking man, but you cut away some of that, and it is just pure yuck, yeah, pure awfulness on the inside. But uh, I think. I've quite enjoyed this podcast. I was expecting... I don't know what I was expecting. Really, I'm (laughs) glad (laughs) you enjoyed it. Yeah, it's been great. It's been a lot of fun. Um, One last thing I forgot to ask you. Go on. Your favourite joke. (gasps) Have I put you on the spot now? You've put me on the spot and I knew you were going to ask me this. I haven't got one. That's fine. I ain't got one. Yeah. One of mine? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. <laughs> I think again it's about that that I like other people's jokes. Um there's some really funny people on the uh on the circuit. When we were talking before about um office politics, I watched uh, a comedian called Kay Nicholson. Oh yeah. And she one of a little section of her set was about um I think she called a Karen or Brenda. Um, nicking the milk in the office and like putting a line on it and I mean you know maybe you should invite Kay on (laughs) she can execute her own joke much better than I can but it is one that it's just the simple simple silly jokes um, but I haven't got the memory function to remember them
0: no I can remember loads of good dad jokes from when I was little but I can't remember new ones now so So, uh, yeah
1: there is one that makes my son laugh and it's quite tragic Um, knock knock no it's not even a knock knock joke no. fucking hell <laughs> oh my god what would you call a fly with no legs i don't know a walk A what <laughs> <laughs> i think we should end on that i think we better of comedy
0: genius <laughs> thank you heidi it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the podcast and i can't wait for people to listen to this because i think they're going to get so much benefit from it so thank you very much thank you very much for having me